0: Hi everyone, my name is Michelle and welcome to RomCom Weekly. Today I'm joined once again by my friend Jesse and we're talking about the movie You've Got Mail. How's it going, Jesse? It's going well. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm super excited to dive into this movie with you. Yeah, I'm excited too. <laughs> All right, so a few things about it. It was released in December of 1998. It was directed and written by Nora Ephron and her sister, Delia Ephron. It stars Meg Ryan, Tom Hanks, and Greg Kinnear. The imdb.com summary is two business rivals who despise each other in real life, unwittingly fall in love over the internet. It has a 6.6 on IMDb. In terms of box office gross, it made more than $250 million. And then just a fun fact, this movie was actually based on a Hungarian play written in 1937. And it was also adapted in 1940 in a film called The Shop Around the Corner. All right. So, Jesse, what would you rate this movie on a scale from 1 to 10?
1: So I rated this movie a 7 out of 10. Okay.
0: All right. So I, without thinking about it, I give it a 10 out of 10. But (laughs) upon my recent rewatch and sitting with it and reflecting about this movie, I'm giving it a 9 out of 10.
1: Okay. Ooh, I wonder what knocked it
0: down a point. Yeah, we'll definitely get into it. But why did you choose this film to talk about and what's your relationship with it?
1: Okay, so I have a confession to make. Okay. I have never seen this movie before. And on top of all of that, I've never seen a Nora Ephron movie before. What? I don't know if this is a horrible thing to say on a rom-com <laughs> podcast. I'm just gonna admit it and hope that everyone is gentle with me. I've just never seen it before. I, it's like one of the classics, so I thought I'd give it a try. I thought it was the most popular Nora Ephron movie, but perhaps I am wrong.
0: Um, I think you are wrong. With love and respect to this movie, so Nora (laughs) Ephron also wrote When Harry Met Sally and Sleepless in Seattle. Yeah. I mean, this is a question I have for later, so let's let's save that for later, actually. But okay, your confession, I have a hard time processing this because... This is – so for me, the reason, obviously, my initial knee-jerk reaction is to give it a 10 out of 10. Right. But this is a huge rewatch for me. This is a very formative movie from my youth. Yeah. It kind of informed the way I look and romanticize the Upper West Side, New York City, bookstores. Like, I still, as an adult, still have a dream to live on the Upper West Side because of this movie, It's idealized and painted as like this charming and very friendly neighborhood. Everyone kind of like knows each other's name, which I, you know, I'm sure maybe within a block of where you live, this is true, but obviously not as a whole of the Upper West Side and just like small things here and there, you know, we come to learn that Kathleen Kelly, who is played by Meg Ryan, she has a heart for daisies. And whenever I see daisies, I think of this movie oh and my. I'm like, yeah, daisies are the
1: friendliest flower. So, yeah, this movie means a lot to me. Are daisies friendlier than sunflowers? I don't know. I'll have to talk to Kathleen Kennedy about this. Kathleen Kelly. Kelly. Oh, see, I don't <laughs> even know that movie
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Oh um my God. <laughs> well, if you're asking me, yes, I do think daisies are friendlier than sunflowers. So, you've never seen this before. So, what brought you to wanting to talk about this movie?
1: I think it was just a classic, and I've always kind of was curious about Nora Ephron and her movies and why people talk about them so much. Mm-hmm. So, I decided, might as well just go with it and it was streaming on HBO, so mm-hmm have you gone out of your way to not see her movies before in the past i have not but you would kind of think that right like how could i have gone all this time without having seen one of her movies but for some reason it just like was never on tv when i was a kid and then i just never had a desire but i think you know that rom-coms aren't my jam in the way that they are yours yes yes
0: I'm just thinking back to, like, her other films, and I think, I just, I guess I've always watched Nora Ephron films. I just yeah. have the complete opposite experience with her than you do, which, mm-hmm. this will be potentially a very interesting conversation then.
1: Yeah, because I think if I watched it in the 90s, I wonder how I would feel mm. about the movie, But I would have felt differently. It was a whole different world back then.
0: Yeah, 100%. And that's why this movie is, like, if you had asked me maybe, like, five... maybe 10, 10 years ago, this would have been an easy 10 out of 10 for me. But the 9 is boosted because of nostalgia, despite some of the shortcomings it now has, in my eyes. But I still hold it as
1: one of my favorite rom-coms. Ooh, I can't wait to talk about this thing, because I thought there were a lot of problematic parts of this movie. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure, I'm sure, yeah.
0: I'm not surprised. All right, so let's start off with what you liked about the movie.
1: Again, I don't have, you know, the... Breath of knowledge of watching a lot of rom-coms. I think I've seen a few here and there. And a lot of them were like, she's all that. And like stuff I would watch as a teenager in like the late 90s, early 2000s. So this movie stood out to me because I thought the storyline was a little unconventional. And that it had some deeper themes than the stereotypical rom-com, which I appreciated.
0: Yeah. Um, I agree. I think, like to your point about watching she's all that Those movies came out when we were closer to those protagonists' age. But this movie, for me, like, this came out 22 years ago. So I was nowhere near the ages of Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan in this movie. So I think by nature of the age of the characters, Mm -hmm. the relationships are a little bit more complex. And there's more kind of, like, depth to who they are. Yeah, I agree with you. I really like Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks in this, which is a very easy way to start this off because Mm -hmm. they've been in other movies together sleepless in seattle most famously and yeah i think that they have a lot of chemistry and i think that i mean so you've never seen sleepless in seattle correct no i've never seen it so spoiler alert jesse oh (laughs) in that movie they don't actually share a lot of screen time oh so it was fun for me to watch this movie with them because, and this is actually a part of my trivia later on, is that because Sleepless in Seattle was such a big hit and Nora Ephron like loved working with these two actors, this movie was meant to kind of be like a quote unquote sequel, uh-huh. not because it's a continuation of any of the same characters or story, but it was mostly to kind of give Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks like more time to shine together. Aww. So yeah, it was just really cute. I like their their chemistry. Let's just chalk it up to that. I really like that. Like you said, the story, um, the plot, I think the story of falling in love with someone through writing is so romantic. Like they don't mm-hmm. know who each other is. They write these really silly and mundane observations in these emails. And it's just, it warms my heart. You know, that whole bit about like a butterfly on the subway and... Joe Fox writes about making decisions at Starbucks and how that's a really big accomplishment for someone who isn't really great at making decisions.
1: That's a really interesting take about how, like, you can start to fall in love with someone by writing to them. Because I was like, the way I sort of saw their relationship in real life versus their, like, relationship on email I was like oh it's really interesting how you pretend to be someone in real life and you are someone completely different online Mm. so I feel like you took it to a more like older romantic view of love and I sort of (laughs) took it to like modern day and like how we use the internet to either truly express ourselves when we can't really do it in person which is kind of sad yeah No, that's interesting.
0: I think this was so at the time in 98, I think this was meant to be like a modern take on like pen pals, right? Yeah, which even in 98, they're making jokes about how archaic sending letters and writing letters is. Yeah, I think the concept of getting to know someone through writing Mm
1: -hmm. is
0: not something that happens anymore, to your point, in, in a modern day world.
1: It's true. Now you just message people through TikTok. DMs. Instagram. yeah, DMs. Slide <laughs> right into those DMs. Exactly,
0: exactly. <laughs> Anything else
1: you liked about the movie? Because I could go on. <laughs> uh, I mean, I did like the bookstore aspect. I do love bookstores in New York City. I mean, little did Joe Fox and Kathleen Kelly know there was a guy named Jeff Bezos coming around the corner <laughs> that would destroy them all. But I, I did... As like someone who likes books and works in publishing, I was like, it was a, it was very sweet. I like that.
0: Yeah. I guess I should also mention that I'm a little surprised you've never seen this movie also because you are in the publishing world. And this is I know. a very book-heavy referenced movie. So, I'm happy that you have now have this movie under your belt.
1: Yeah, I feel like I can fully embrace the book nerd New Yorker <laughs> label now. I love it. So, s- speaking of New York,
0: this movie is filmed in New York. And again, I said it before on previous episodes, but I love it when a movie's filmed in New York that takes place in New York. But it really, like I mentioned, it really romanticizes New York City, especially the Upper West Side. It also, I think, romanticizes the bookstore, even though Fox Books is not quite as romanticized as The Shop Around the Corner. Right. But it's this concept and this idea of like a children's bookstore being like safe and warm and inviting, and to that point, this movie's also incredibly wholesome. I looked it up. it's actually rated p g
1: interesting,
0: wholesome in which way wholesome, I guess, in the sense that there's no lewd jokes, there's no right sex drugs rock and roll kind of thing. Got it's it. i guess kid friendly in a way um, and then I just have one small observation is that Kathleen Kelly's wardrobe is so 90s. Oh my gosh, yes! (laughs) But it's still classic. I I kind of noticed this pattern where she wears these very muted and neutral tones and Uh I feel like it's a very New York thing to do. You don't really wear a lot of like, well the stereotype is New Yorkers just wear black. Um, And I think she kind of evokes that New Yorkiness in this character. For sure. Yeah.
1: And her apartment too. I was like is this supposed to be a nice apartment or a crappy apartment because I was like if she ran out of a bookstore I don't know if she could afford what looked like a very nice apartment mm-hmm. on the west side yeah
0: I like her apartment I think it's warm and cozy
1: mm-hmm.
0: I'm assuming it was filmed on a on a stage and not an actual apartment but I could be wrong I didn't find
1: any of that in my trivia but I do think that a lot of it was filmed a lot of the movie was filmed on location like Mm -hmm. Zabar's is still there Mm -hmm. do a lot of those restaurants still exist I was trying to figure out if that was an actual bookstore in New York City so
0: it's not it was actually an antique shop that they transformed into a bookstore for the movie. So. What they did actually was, I think they paid for the actual antique store owner to like go on vacation and like Mm -hmm. use the store and just like removed everything. And then
1: when they wrapped, they put everything back, obviously. You know what I actually noticed when I was watching the credits, they said, thank you too. And then they listed a bunch of book publishers. So I think a lot of people Mm -hmm. donated books for their set.
0: So actually, this is another um, trivia point is that Nora Mm -hmm. Ephron, she apparently was very Particular and opinionated about many things. I think as one is when they're a director, and she actually uh, sought out real first edition children's books to line the bookshelves of shop around the wow. corner. Wow! So that was very intentional and attention to detail by Dora Efron. Interesting. So that's probably what the the thank you thank yous are for in the credits. That's cool. All right, so let's let's move on to what you didn't like about the movie.
1: Oh, you're going to get so mad at me. Oh no, go ahead. I can take it. (laughs) I did not like Joe Fox at all. Mm -hmm. I think that Tom Hanks is adorable he has a very friendly and personal face and everyone loves tom hanks but joe fox was an (laughs) asshole like a complete asshole and like the whole time i was watching this i was like wait are we supposed to be smitten with him Mm -hmm. is he like the guy that we're all supposed to fall in love with and like hope that he gets the girl because i'm like he is playing major mind games with her like he has all the power well In multiple ways. Like, he's, Mm -hmm. like, the evil businessman who's going to stomp all over her, like, small little heartfelt indie bookstore. That, you're like, fine, whatever. He's just, like, a bro. Mm -hmm. Once he finds out that Kathleen Kelly is the one that he's been emailing, and you're like, oh, my God, is he going to stand her up at the cafe after he promised to meet her? And then you don't know if he will or he doesn't. And then he comes in, and you're like, oh, he's finally going to, like confess that it was him and then he doesn't and at that point where he just like you know fucks with her Mm -hmm. and like plays mind games with her until the end i was like i don't like anything about this man
0: right that's a really good point you know like growing up as i was watching this as a young young teen these are not things that i noticed But upon rewatch, this is why I bumped it down from a 10 to a 9, is because Mm -hmm. Joe Fox is not a good person. He catfishes her ultimately, right? As we in 2020 are calling it. Yeah, he kind of does. Yeah. And I mean, he doesn't mean it intentionally. Oh, I think he means it intentionally, don't you? (laughs) I mean, like at the beginning. At the beginning. I think he didn't expect. So, okay. So the, the scene... What's Cafe Lalo, by the way, which is an actual cafe on the Upper West Side. I've been there. I sought it out. (laughs) At that moment, I don't think he means to be intentionally catfishing her. I think later on, when they start to build their friendship, that's when I got really angry with him. Yes. Because that's when he's intentionally misleading her. But this kind of moment at the coffee shop where he has the opportunity to confess, Mm -hmm. I understand why he doesn't, because she's really hurt by joe fox the businessman right i guess there isn't a right moment for him to to make this declaration but yeah later on it's unacceptable and it's unforgivable but to your point i think we're easy as an audience to forgive and accept because it's tom hanks
1: i know you can't get mad she got real lucky casting him because
0: i was like is this for real (laughs) Right. And as someone who you have only watched this once, you're like, this is insane. This is,
1: this makes no sense. But for me, you know, it's just like, oh, Joe. But yeah. Yeah, He was definitely playing mean, malicious, intentional mind games with her, which I did not appreciate.
0: Yeah. And I I agree with you. That's why I bumped it down a point.
1: Oh, Joe. Are there any other
0: things you don't like about it?
1: Yes. Well,. The ending wasn't what I thought it was gonna be. I think, like, halfway through the movie, I was like, oh, I know th- how this is gonna end. I thought that, you know, they were gonna get married or whatever, and he was gonna buy out her bookstore so that she could still work at the shop around the corner and mm. it didn't have to close. And that didn't even happen. So perhaps it was my <laughs> own fault for putting too much faith in Joe Fox and my hope in how this movie would end. Maybe it was a little more realistic that he was like, hey, you know, your mother's legacy, I've killed it, it's dead, and you're never getting it back. But we could date if you want. And she was totally happy with that.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's there's some disbelief. I, I I understand that. But that's an interesting take on what the ending should have been. Huh. Do you think I should write to Nora Ephron? <laughs> Unfortunately, Nora Ephron passed away. Oh, no. <laughs> when did she pass away? Yeah, in 2012, I think. That's why I think there's such a love for her,
1: for her films. Ah, uh, yeah. So, but yes, you should write to her. Or, yeah, Put I'll make an there. amendment to uh, <laughs> alternate ending to You've Got Mail. I mean, I thought that would have been like a good way for him to like sort of redeem himself. And he didn't even do it. So I still thought he was a jerk at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I have more
0: to add about the ending, but I'm going to save it. Okay. to later. Other things I didn't like about the movie. This is a small nitpick, but like the stepmother, the future stepmother. I I forget what her name is, but she, like, keeps hitting on Joe. I didn't really mean that part. It was kind of
1: weird. (gasps) It was. Oh, I did like the family dynamic of those little kids being his brother and his aunt. I thought that was very sweet. I thought it was very sweet.
0: And, like, as someone who watched this movie at a young age, I was like, this doesn't make sense. But then the older you get, you're like, oh, yeah, family dynamics are very complicated. Mm Dad remarries, or dad has multiple children by different women, and even his grandfather does too, you know? So, yeah. I, I thought that was quite realistic and really sweet in a way as well. I think you and I talked about this in Serendipity, but there's this rom com trope, I think, where the uh-huh. protagonists who we're rooting for they are, like,
1: low-key terrible to their existing partners. Yes. Okay, because (laughs) I was thinking that, too, and I didn't want to bring it up because I was like, okay, I don't watch a lot of rom-coms, but the two I watch with you, everyone had a partner in the beginning, and they're all kind of, like, emotionally cheating. And I was like, is emotional cheating just, like, a common theme throughout (laughs) all rom-coms?
0: Is it? (laughs) I mean, I think it's a quite tropey rom-com thing. Yeah, but it just so happens the two movies that we've talked about, it does happen in both of these movies. Yeah, so we're talking about Frank Navasky, who's played by Greg Kinnear, and Patricia Eden, mm-hmm. who's played by Parker Posey, both of which actors I think are great in this movie, and like mm-hmm. the characters themselves are quite funny.
1: Yes, they are. which
0: is why I think we as an audience are like not rooting for them because they're kind mm-hmm. of terrible people. Like Frank is just like. So absurd, and then Patricia's just like such a—they're
1: just like such extreme versions of like horrible New Yorkers. Yes, they're like quirky and unlikable. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's
0: definitely true. And then the last thing I didn't like upon this closer rewatch, and I will—I need to—I feel like I need to caveat that I haven't watched this movie in a while, and so I noticed a few things that I'd never noticed before, and one of these things was like when this friendship between Joe and Kathleen start to blossom, it just seems that Joe is like basically trolling Kathleen in the sense that he's just like, tell me about NY 152, tell me all about him. And he just like continues to like egg her on. Yeah. He's so mean. (laughs) Yes. I I admit (gasps) that that is mean, but also like that just also seems to be the breadth of their friendship. They talk a little bit about books and work, but I think maybe not explicitly because he put her out of business. But I don't see Kathleen asking Joe any questions. Like, what do we get to know about Joe as a character? Uh So I was just like, oh, it just seems very one sided and just Joe pushing Kathleen being like egging her on again and like putting weird ideas in her head.
1: Yes, I can see that. I just feel like he's like a... Those, like, school childhood crushes where it's, like, the boy who teases you the most actually has a crush on you. I feel Mm. like he was definitely that kid growing up. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, that's an interesting way of
0: putting it. Thoughts on general themes this movie covers?
1: Mm. I think the most interesting theme to me, was sort of the differences in their relationship. I, like, I think I said it before. I think that their relationship in person versus online was very indicative of, like, human nature and how we sometimes have to put up a front, you know, face-to-face to people, but then we can escape You know, Mm -hmm. behind a screen and be more truthful and more vulnerable, especially in like Joe Mm -hmm. Fox's case. And it was very interesting to be like, how do you fall in love with a person? Do you have to take everything? Can you fall in love with one part of a person and loathe the other part of a person and like still make it work? I thought that was an interesting take. Mm hmm. And then I think like a smaller theme that I thought was interesting or that I, you know, just thought about was sort of this idea of masculinity with Joe Fox. And I Mm -hmm. think sort of like toxic masculinity. I think, you know, he's very brash. He's very blunt and a little bit of a bully in his professional life, in, Mm -hmm. you know, his life out in the world. But he's extremely like heartfelt and vulnerable when he talks to Kathleen in email and I kind of was like, it was very interesting because I think our men, especially I guess in the late nineties, not allowed to show that part of themselves in public.
0: That's interesting. I didn't think of that at all. <laughs> I was digging deep. No, no. And I appreciate that. That's why I love having these kinds of conversations. Cause I think we, we pick up different things and especially because this is a fresh movie for you. Yeah. Yeah you have a totally different take on it than I I would or I do. Okay, so let me digest what you've just said. In terms of your first theme that you mentioned about, you know, human nature and hiding behind a screen, and I think it's definitely true. Well, I'll speak for myself. I feel like I've done that. But it's also easier to have said doing this, like, in the 90s, where a lot of our communication was done over IM
1: through AOL. Shout out America Online. (laughs) I was also like, does that ex- still exist? I mean, I know AIM does not exist, but does AOL, <laughs> AOL exist?
0: <laughs> I think so, because I know some people who still use an AOL oh. email account for their junk email, so I see. it's got to still be around. Yeah. It's, it's very true. Like, you know, I've gotten to know people a lot over AIM, and mm-hmm. I'm sure I haven't thought this through, but... An example in 2020 would just be like over Instagram. I think yeah. a lot of people probably comment hateful comments that maybe wouldn't say those things to a person to their face. Yeah. So it's very easy to hide behind a screen
1: today, still. So I think Even that's. Even more so now, I think.
0: Yeah, that's especially true now that everyone is living behind a screen because we can't yeah. see anybody in real no. life. So. <laughs> It's very true. The toxic masculinity, I didn't think about that about Joe, but I think there is something to be said about maybe the depiction and the the characterization of men in the 90s is, yeah, maybe you are Mm -hmm. strong and, yeah, I don't know. I I will have to rewatch to digest
1: that theme a little bit more. I mean, I don't think toxic masculinity was a big conversation piece in the late 90s. I do feel like... Maybe watching this as someone in my 30s in 2020, it's like a theme that is more contemporary and maybe probably was not intentional mm-hmm. in the movie. I don't mm-hmm. know, but maybe Nora Ephron was like way ahead of her time. <laughs> or people were talking about it, but they just weren't talking to me about it because I was like 12. Yeah, exactly. I don't know.
0: So I picked up a few different themes than you actually. Oh, okay. So this will I'm be excited. interesting. Yeah. So again, I need. To, I feel like I need to preface this that you have not seen this movie that many times, so I'm picking up on a lot of different things. <laughs> I wrote down this theme of Pride and Prejudice, which mm-hmm. I don't think is a book that you've read before. Am I correct?
1: No, and I know it's so. That's another one of my dirty like <laughs> book people secrets. Is like never read Pride and Prejudice. Have zero interest in it.
0: I'm just outing you. I'm <laughs> outing you on all fronts right now. <laughs>
1: Don't know which which bronte Austin sister wrote it, oh my God, no Jane, out. I'll get
0: fired. <laughs> <laughs> Jane Austen wrote Pride and Prejudice, not a Bronte sister, <laughs> but anyway, this theme of Pride and prejudice, so i'll I'll give you just like top line thoughts on this. This book is referenced in the movie several yeah. times, and I never noticed it until this recent rewatch that the characters, Kathleen and Joe, are actually Elizabeth Bennet and Mr. Darcy, who are the protagonists of Pride and Prejudice. Oh. This is kind of like a modern retelling. I mean, this is not beat for beat, a retelling of the Jane Austen classic, but this is, I think, in my mind when I was kind of forming my thoughts and they just kept referencing Pride and Prejudice in the movie, I was like, it was like a light bulb went off in my brain. I was (laughs) like, whoa. Whoa. These two think they know the other person, but they don't actually know the other person. And they have all these preconceived notions about who they are and what they like. Did it end the same way as Pride and Prejudice? Sort of? In a way, in the sense that the characters end up
1: together. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, I was like, hmm, I bet I should know the basic storyline of this Pride and Prejudice because they keep on talking about it, but I don't get it. (laughs) And... There's this line that
0: Kathleen says is that Elizabeth Bennett is the most complex female character in history, or something like that. Uh huh. And it's, yeah, I mean, not that I've read all the books, but I do think the legacy of Pride and Prejudice is that, yeah, mm-hmm. all these characters are deeply flawed. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's what happens in this movie, and you've got male,
1: is that they're both proud and they're both prejudiced towards the other person. Yeah. That's really interesting, though, because I actually didn't think. Kathleen was very complex mm. as a character. Did you?
0: I don't, but I think she's the most complex character in the movie.
1: Really? I would say for me, it was Joe Fox. But I guess it's because you saw everything sort of from his point of view. Mm hmm, mm hmm. So
0: again, this is a, a category for later, and I actually struggled with this is that mm-hmm. like, who has the most development? Ah. But yeah, let's let's save save it. Um, But I do have a few other themes. Yes, Opposites attracting. I think you mentioned this earlier about like, what does it mean to love a person? Like if you have one thing that you don't love, are you able to love that person regardless? Mm -hmm. So I think that it's fun that we get to see this friendship kind of unfold that yes, Joe Fox put Kathleen out of business, but then they're also able to relate on so many levels. They differ on lots of things small things like she says that she doesn't like boats and he says that he doesn't doesn't like Joni Mitchell but ultimately at the end of the day they connect and understand each other yeah okay I'm gonna pull another thing out of my trivia yeah um so I found this article on Vanity Fair uh, an oral Mm -hmm. history Uh, I'm gonna shorten it but I want to read it because I think I thought it was interesting at least Nora Ephron is quoted in saying Sleepless is a movie that's about, is there one perfect person out there for you? And of course, we always think the perfect person for us is if you ask people to make a list of what the perfect person is for them, what they'll essentially write down is a depiction of themselves. They want to meet themselves. And that's what we think of when we think of that one perfect person and that perfect match. But the truth is, this movie is all about, can you fall in love with the person who isn't the perfect person for you? End quote. I like that. Yeah, I thought that really kind of tied it up together very succinctly mm-hmm. is that, sure, maybe some people do fall in love with the exact same person who they are and they find their perfect match in that person. But I have found in my personal experience is that, I mean, A, there's no perfect match. The word perfect is unrealistic. But yeah. I do think that most of us fall in love with the person who's not perfect for us.
1: I Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. There is no perfect person for you there's just no perfect person none of us are perfect right right and is there a perfect person for you I think you and I have probably talked before about how I'm definitely much more in the sleepless in Seattle camp where I want to make a list and it turns out my perfect person is essentially just like me mm-hmm. yeah we have talked about this mm-hmm. yeah I don't know I, I think it's it's interesting I guess you know it has a lot to do with like they definitely have chemistry Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks. And I think, can that overcome your laundry list of what you think you want in a partner? Mm-hmm. Which sometimes I think it can. Yeah. But I think if, like, some guy took my livelihood away and, you know, <laughs> shut down my mother's <laughs> bookstore where I grew up and since I was six, I would never, ever date him. Ever. <laughs> I'd be like, there are nine million other people out here. Good luck to you, sir. Yeah, I mean,
0: Joe Fox is charming, <laughs> but yeah, I'd be curious to see how this relationship progresses. Obviously, the movie yeah. ends like when they come back together, but yeah, what does their dating life look like? Right, like yeah. does Kathleen bring up like, dude, you you
1: put me out of business, and I know. I think their relationship is just going to be psychological warfare where (laughs) Joe Fox is the torturer and poor uh, Kathleen is just like crying in a corner. I'm just kidding. I'm sure they're going to be great. I mean, yeah, we don't need to hash out this conversation that we've had a few times, (laughs) but like
0: I just we can we can share with the world what we think. And I I do want to say that, I mean, I can only speak from personal experience because I, I feel like I was someone who wanted to be with someone just like me. Right. And you know, Frank, Frank is nothing like me in many ways. (laughs) In most ways, I would say that he and I are very different. So obviously I'm biased, but also like, what does perfect mean? Right? Is perfect someone who looks exactly like you? uh, Or is perfect someone who challenges you? And, you know, takes you out of your comfort zone? Mm -hmm. Or is perfect someone who keeps you in your comfort zone? So yeah, I think that definition of perfect looks different for everybody.
1: And I mean, I think that there is no person that is just like you. Like, yeah, you can have all of the same, like, hobbies, read the same books, have the same education, but, like, maybe you have different philosophies on this, or maybe, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know, someone's a night person, someone's a morning person. Like, I think there's always going to be some sort of difference and conflict in mm-hmm. any relationship. Yeah. I get You know, it would be, you're right, because it would be super boring if you basically just dated a clone of yourself. It would be.
0: Yeah, I do think it would get boring. What would you talk, if you agree on literally every single topic and literally like to do
1: every single thing. Yeah. But then on the other side of the coin, would you want to be in a relationship where you're polar opposites and like all you did was fight? I mean, there's there's a lot of passion and energy in fighting, but (laughs) I don't know. Is that a sustainable relationship? For some people,
0: maybe. For some people, yeah. Yeah, it's a very interesting concept, this whole idea of opposites attracting. And I have one final theme. It's kind of a big one. I don't need to dive into it, but it's mm-hmm. it's this idea of capitalism.
1: Oh, yeah. You mm-hmm.
0: mentioned earlier, like, today Jeff Bezos is taking over the world. Killing them Amazon. all. Yeah. Yeah. So this movie, I think, is very 90s in the sense that this was, like, the biggest problem, right, for for business owners, for small business owners. I just thought that that was a really interesting theme that yeah. I took away now that I wasn't really, like, identifying as capitalism when I was watching this when I was, like, 13 years old.
1: Yeah. But I guess, is is there a moral to this movie in terms of capitalism that it will always win out in the end and it's okay, just get over it? Um, Or do you think I'm digging too deep?
0: No, I don't know. Uh, and I don't want to feign like I know... All the ins and outs of capitalism.
1: (laughs) I mean, at the end of the day, her indie bookstore is closed and Fox Books is still out there employing her previous employees. Yeah, yeah. I I feel like
0: I'm kind of torn because I am someone who orders things off Amazon with a lot of ease, but I'm also a small business Mm -hmm. owner. So... Mm -hmm. I don't think it's so black and white in a way. Right. Like, I order a lot of my business supplies on Amazon, and I I need them. So it's hard. It's it's not one or the other, in my opinion. Yeah. I think in an ideal world, we all thrive and we all succeed. But, yeah, Yeah. I don't know. I don't
1: know. I try to avoid Amazon as much as possible. Yeah. I know you are very anti. I'm very anti-Amazon. I mean, it is killing... The book industry a little bit. Yeah.
0: And I mean, like as someone, I mean, I'm sure Amazon has put a lot of industries out of business, but for me now that I'm more aware of things, I will continue to buy daily supplies from Amazon that I can't easily access in my everyday life. But I will also be supporting and buying books from small business um, bookstores too. So again, I do think there is an an ideal world where we can all coexist, but we'll see. We'll see if that happens.
1: We'll see. But yeah, I do love indie bookstores. I always try to go to an independent bookstore whenever I travel anywhere. They do have a personality and a charm. It definitely is a very different feel than a Barnes and Noble or a Fox book.
0: Yeah, Kathleen says at some point, she's like, We provide the service. And it's true, like the whole picture that Kathleen paints about her mother owning the store before her, it's mm-hmm. incredibly heartfelt. You know, people are very formed by the books that they read as children. And her mom was that person for so many people.
1: Yeah. So
0: I, I, yeah, I like that whole romantic idea of books kind of, she kind of goes off the rails a little bit with this little speech. She's like, you know, the books you read forms who you are as a person. And I, I believe it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Joe Fox kind of looks at her like she's crazy. But yeah, I, I, there's definitely some truth to that. Um, Let's talk favorite scene or scenes. Oh, yeah. I
1: have one favorite scene, I think. Please. I really enjoyed the elevator scene. Mm-hmm. I mean I think it was it was a turning point for for Joe Fox's character but it was also just like a totally out there part of the movie for me like my favorite part was um when the elevator guy was like when it got stuck and he was like I know what we need to do if we all jump at the same time <laughs> the elevator will think no one's in here and will open and then I was like what the fuck? And like, they all looked (laughs) at him in that same way. But then they all did it. And then nothing happened. I was like, that is just so random and hilarious.
0: I think it's just kind of uh, an ode to how quirky New Yorkers are. It's like, (laughs) "Eh, sure, let's just do this thing to appease this weird man, this weird, (laughs) sweet man that we see every day on the (laughs) elevator.
1: (laughs) It was just so random. I loved it. What was your favorite scene?
0: I had trouble uh, coming up with Like, one favorite scene, actually. Mm -hmm. And I think I landed on the scene when Kathleen is sick and Joe brings her daisies. Oh. I think a lot of things happen in this scene. Kathleen is low-key terrible to Joe, right? Like, she's just, she can't stop saying mean things to him, which I find kind of funny. He just brings it out in her. Meanwhile, Joe, like, realizes this because he knows that she is shop girl and he is NY152, and he's trying to prevent her from like saying these zingers. I also think this is the moment where Kathleen starts to like change her opinion of Joe.
1: Right. Oh, that's interesting because also in that scene, I was like, it was the only time when I thought, is Kathleen catching on that Joe is NY mm-hmm. was one five two? It's sort of a fleeting thought. I don't know. Did you think she was catching on?
0: No, but I found myself getting frustrated that she wasn't catching on. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I'm like, how?
0: These are like such obvious signs. And I mean, not in this exact scene, but I felt like there were some moments where Kathleen could have been a little bit quicker. But I found myself getting frustrated. I was like, oh, Kathleen, just (laughs) think critically about this situation. I liked the conversation that they have about things being personal, and I never yes. really thought about this scene until this rewatch that I did yesterday. So I'm going to just quote if I can. You know, Joe apologizes, you know, sorry, it wasn't personal, it's business. And Kathleen says, what's so wrong with being personal? Because whatever anything else is, it ought to begin by being personal. When she said that, I was like,
1: oh, wow, that's
0: weirdly, it was very poignant for me. Because Yeah,
1: same here. It was my favorite line in the whole movie oh really yeah i thought it was it was very deep and i think it was like very honest you know you always hear like people saying like don't take it personal it's just business it's something you always hear and i feel Mm -hmm. like it kind of delegitimizes feelings and like emotions and i think she was like they're not invalid and i Mm -hmm. thought that was a very you know poignant take yeah on life
0: yeah, and I also like Kathleen for, like, sticking up for herself and, like, telling Joe. She's mean, but she's not antagonistic in the sense, like, right. get out of my apartment. I, I never want to see you again. You put me out yeah. of business. It's, she actually lets him in, even mm-hmm. though he stays when she tries to kick him out in a friendly way. He he provides utility, you know? He, yeah. like, makes her tea, brings her flowers, yeah, tucks her in bed, and, like, this moment that Kathleen has this revelation and shares it with joe and joe kind of is like i don't think she's making yeah. meaning to make him feel like a shitty person but i think no. he's able to sit in those feelings and being like mm-hmm. yeah it was personal it was yeah. straight up personal of course it was
1: and i also kind of thought it put them like when she said that it sort of put them on the same level i don't know if joe or we as the audience were supposed to think of her as like this underdog or someone inferior because Mm -hmm. of the way she approached business. But I think having her say that kind of was like, you know, you just do things your way and I do things my way. There isn't a better way, you know, we're just different, but they're equal.
0: Mm -hmm. Interesting. I'm glad that we both kind of took away the same quote to be quite poignant. And I do have one other line that I really love. It's kind of closer to the beginning of the movie
1: Wait, I also have one other line too. I wonder if it's the same one. <laughs> I'll for, I forgot it. So if you say it, I'll remember. It's in one of
0: the emails and Joe is saying, don't you love New York in the fall? It makes me want to buy school supplies. This is a very formative quote for me. We are, we are recording this episode before the official launch of fall, but I told you through email that I want to release this episode on the official first day of fall in ode to
1: this movie. You did tell me that, and then I was watching the movie just waiting for it to be some, like, epic fall movie, and I was like, I don't get it. I just don't get it. it It's like, this covers all the seasons. What are you talking about? You're right, it does. I think, in my mind,
0: it's such a fall movie, but then I was watching it yesterday, and I was like, oh, it's just, like, the span of less than a year. Yeah. Uh, So, I think just because the opening shot is fall, and Nora Ephron just, like, paints this beautiful, quaint picture of fall in New York
1: City. But yeah, that's one of my other favorite lines. Oh, that one was cute. What was your? Oh, I remember. It was. It was something about like, if the bookstore closed, it would be like an ode to New York. Something I don't know. I gotta find it, but it's something about like how New York is always changing. I know what quote you're talking about.
0: So it's in an email that Kathleen's writing to, NY152 oh, it's in an
1: email. Okay.
0: People are always telling you that change is a good thing. But all they're really saying is something you didn't want to happen, at all, has happened. My store is closing this week. I own a store. Did I ever tell you that? It's a lovely store, and in a week it will be something really depressing, like a baby gap. Soon it'll just be a memory. In fact, somewhere, some foolish person will probably think it's a tribute to this city, the way it keeps changing on you, the way you can never count on it or something. I know because that's the sort of thing I'm always saying. But the truth is, I'm heartbroken. I feel as if a part of me has died and my mother has died all over again and no one can ever make it right.
1: Yeah, I think I really liked that quote because, you know, like you and I have lived in New York City for so long now and we've seen so many things turn over. And I guess it is very true to like what happens here, but I guess it makes you stop and think about like how much were these places loved that were open for only a brief moment in time. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that you take you say that, because uh, when I was watching this, I really like kind of sat with this line also, because here now in 2020, we're dealt with, I'm sorry, we're faced with a lot of New York City restaurants and stores closing because of COVID. Yeah. I was like, wow, this is an oddly well-timed line. Yeah. And yeah, it's been kind of hard to see a lot of really, they're not even like my favorite restaurants, but I can- But like def- iconic Iconic but also like very memorable restaurants, right? Like, oh, I can tell you like certain events that happen at certain restaurants. And it's sad that they're closing and it's hard. It's like when this all kind of blows over, it's like, well, it's like one less thing to look forward to to doing or going to. I know. It's gonna be rough. So yeah, that's a really weird reality to be faced with. Let's move on to WTF moments.
1: Nothing was like too crazy to me I mean I guess the jumping scene but you don't have to say that again because that was my favorite scene the elevator I was like what the
0: fuck okay so I actually have a few WTFs just because again I've seen this movie so many times but speaking about the elevator scene yes Today in 2020, the elevator man would not have a job. He would. Yeah. There's no one manning elevators. I think at like fancy luxury commercial stores, right. there are elevator people, but not at residential no. buildings, I don't think. So that was one small WTF. Agree. This is not a WTF, more of an observation. Mm-hmm. It's like the IMing between Kathleen and Joe. I don't know if you noticed, but they're just so grammatically and like they use proper punctuation within IM. Like they use capitalization, <laughs> huh. they use quotes and their quotes are like... You know, in the AP style guide. And I hey, just thought it was really funny. Maybe that's how they did it, how adults did it in the 90s. And we just don't know. We bastardized yeah. the the art of DMing and IMing. <laughs> I just thought it was funny. I, I was like, that's it was very cute. kind of cute. <laughs> Another WTF is this breakup between Kathleen and Frank. I think it's too convenient.
1: Yeah.
0: Neither of them seems to be hurt by the other person not being in love with them. Yeah. And Kathleen says, there's the dream of someone else. Right. I understand that's true for Kathleen's character. But all I can imagine was if I was Frank Navasky, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I was like, whoa, that hurts. Like, you've been with me for X amount of, I don't know, months, Mm -hmm. years, and like, You've been sitting here dreaming for someone else? That's gotta hurt.
1: That's very interesting. I remember that line when she said, a dream of someone else. But you and her know that she's talking about NY-152. But I think maybe if you were Frank, you'd be like, oh, just this like amorphous dream of someone else. Not a specific someone else, just someone else that wasn't him. But either way, don't you find that line hurtful? I guess. I wouldn't if I also felt the same way. And I think maybe he felt the same way. I guess. I guess I have more pride. (laughs) I'd be like, screw you. I don't know.
0: I think it's just like a mutual breakup. Yeah, it just was so convenient of a mutual breakup for me. It really was. Um, Another nitpick I have is Joe's dad, who is supposedly very wealthy, has had multiple wives Mm -hmm. over. He doesn't have his own home? He breaks up with his girlfriend and he oh. like retreats to his boat. Like, I I find that a little bit hard to believe. I'm sure he, like she's the one who left the house and he's the one who gets to keep the, in my mind, this beautiful brownstone on potentially the Upper West Side.
1: Yeah, maybe it's just a temporary thing. Uh, maybe he's just a really nice guy. He just throws money at all <laughs> his problems. That's probably true. Maybe he's like, keep the house. I'll just go to my boat. Yeah. And then
0: my final WTF is not... eh. These are all like very mild WTFs compared to others I've done in the past. Just the timeline, I'm a little confused by in terms of Fox Books. It seems like it's under construction, like pretty bare bones when we're introduced (laughs) to Joe Fox and Kevin, who is played by Dave Chappelle, who we haven't even mentioned yet. But yeah, it looks like they're literally building from the ground up. And then very quickly they open... And very quickly, the shop around the corner feels the effects of slow business. Yeah. And it's Christmas. And in the new year, I think she decides to close the shop. Mm -hmm. So in my mind, I'm just like, and again, this is coming from not ever owning a store. So I don't actually, maybe this is very realistic. I don't know. But I guess my question is like, is this a realistic timeline of how quickly it takes for a business to go under? And I feel like Kathleen could have cut down staff hours to like try to keep it afloat. Like it seemed like there were four of them employed at this bookshop when I don't think there needed to be four people at yeah. all times and like shortened the hours or something. But yeah, it just, uh, the demise of the bookshop just was very quick to me.
1: It was very abrupt. I also thought that was going to be some sort of like climax or like big, be- plot point towards the end of the movie and then it happened and the movie just kept going and I was like wait what's happening
0: I will say this movie's almost two hours long yeah it's kind of a long movie yeah let's talk the ending Mm. what are your thoughts even though you
1: mentioned earlier that I have a better ending in my (laughs) head move over Nora Ephron rest in peace okay I have one question about the ending why do you think it ended with them kissing and the music playing is somewhere over the rainbow. I was like, that's from a different movie. What is, what's happening right (laughs) I was like, is there supposed to be a theme of something from Wizard of Oz? (laughs) Am I overthinking this? Were they just too lazy to like, think of a new, like, romantic song? Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. Interesting. Okay. And then, oh, I also hated the ending because I was like, he finally comes. Wait, did you just say you hated the ending? Okay, I kind of hated the ending. Did I not mention that?
0: (laughs) Okay, okay, that's the headline. Jesse hates the ending of You've Got Mail.
1: Thought the music was weird. I was like, if I were Meg May- Ryan, and I saw Tom Hanks coming towards me, and he was like, surprise, um, NY152, why is she only like, oh, I was hoping it was you, and like, that's it. I would be in my head like, what the fuck? And I'd have so many mm-hmm. questions. I think I'd go through so many emotions of like, the anger, feeling deceited, feeling kind of betrayed. But then I guess if I loved mm-hmm. him, like, also really happy. I think there'd be, like, a lot more feelings and thoughts happening with her. But she kind of just accepts it. And he doesn't even have to explain himself, which I did not like.
0: So I agree with you. I'm not happy with, with Kathleen's reaction. Right. Which is also a reason why it's not a 10 out of 10 for me anymore. Mm-hmm. I have complicated feelings about this ending because... There have been times when I was like, this is the most romantic thing ever. Mm -hmm. This is the epitome of romance, right? Where he confesses and she just like falls into his arms. But now as an adult, it's more complicated. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I used to cry at it, but now I'm just like left scratching my head. Like, no, this is not a normal human reaction that Kathleen has. Similar to you, I would sit in my emotions and feelings and being like, who are you? I think it would go from like anger to denial, to like all sadness. The stages of
1: grief at once, right?
0: <laughs> but maybe Kathleen just was so in love with this Joe Fox that she's come to know mm-hmm. that all is forgiven. Yeah. But I do think realistically, a conversation would need to be had after this this scene to talk about. Okay, well let's let's unpack this a little bit more. Yeah. But you know, it's a rom com. We have to suspend some belief, mm-hmm. yeah, in this kind of world. But it's not necessarily tied to the actual ending. But in terms of how the characters' storylines are wrapped up, I like that Kathleen. I like that she um, does a career pivot. Yeah, and she is now exploring being a children's book, uh, a children's writer. And I think that is a really nice ode to the character of Kathleen, because Mm -hmm. you mentioned earlier that like your preferred ending would have been that Joe Fox like buys out the store, the Mm -hmm. old store, and like, you know, kind of redeems himself to give this to her. Mm -hmm. But I like that she is independent and isn't defined by the failure of her business. Right. And that she is able to pick herself up off her own feet and do something that she is surprised that she's passionate
1: about. Yeah. No, I think that's fair. And maybe she was never passionate about the bookstore. It was really just the nostalgia and this like, maybe family obligation to take it over. And now she's finally free. Yeah. And to your point about Over the Rainbow, I have the opposite
0: reaction. I love that this song is played in this movie.
1: Why? What does it mean?
0: (laughs) I don't know if it has any meaning. Also, Someone Over the Rainbow is not just for Wizard of Oz. I think it's oh, made it famous and it comes from Wizard of Oz, but I think a lot of different people have covered this song okay. and I feel like it's in a lot of other movies. Oh, okay. So I don't know if there's any deep rooted meaning to the song being played at this exact moment. So so you think Joe is the one that has the most character development.
1: I think so. I don't know if you would say it's like it's supposed to be like half and half from his point of view and half sort of like from her point of view, but I did feel like most of it was actually from his point of view because you know in the second half, you are in on the joke with him, like you knew he knew I sort of like i guess identified with him more while watching the movie, whereas like Kathleen just seemed like this person that the viewer knew was being taken advantage of, so I do feel mm-hmm. like he he had to have the most character development because he started out as like the biggest jerk. And I was like, well, if he's the romantic love interest, then he has to redeem himself (laughs) in some way. And I think ultimately he, he does. I think when once he, you know, tells her the truth and confesses, what I would be interested to hear your opinion on is like, you know, who he was in, in public versus who he was online. I thought was significantly more different than who Kathleen was in person and who she was online.
0: That's fair. That's a fair conclusion. I will say that I agree with you in the sense that I think Joe's character development is, like, the most obvious Mm -hmm. growth, but I still think there's something to be said about Kathleen thinking, like, Joe Fox is just this ruthless businessman who put me out of business, Mm -hmm. but yet, he is also a human person who she comes to realize has his own misgivings Mm -hmm. and issues, right? So in that sense, I think Kathleen kind of evolves, but I will agree with you that Joe kind of we're, we're in on the joke. Mm-hmm. We we see him kind of soften a lot more whereas Kathleen is already kind of this warm and likable person to begin with. Yeah.
1: But those were the only two characters with character development in the whole movie, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I do think that they introduced a lot of side characters, but like didn't really give them enough justice. Yeah. Yeah. But it was just enough to kind of like be comedic elements, mm-hmm. but Yeah, ultimately, it is just about these two people. Do you think these characters stay together?
1: Ooh. I don't know. I think if it's a rom-com, you assume they stay together. Do you think they break up as soon as they kiss?
0: (laughs) No, I actually think that they stay together. I think that they have... The relationship has progressed in a very interesting way and that they know each other's flaws very quickly and immediately. But,
1: yeah, I think that they stay together. I mean, I do agree with you. I think, you know... Their relationship through email, it was like just so intimate and so vulnerable. And then, you know, in person, they were also in heavy conflict. So I feel like they have experienced a lot of the ups and downs of a relationship, you know, to know how each other works. So I have faith that they stay together forever.
0: Wow, that's very hopeful of (laughs)
1: you. And I'm happy that you feel this way. (laughs) They put each other through some stuff.
0: That's true all right so i have a question for you Mm -hmm. so the character kathleen loves the book pride and prejudice and i think we're led to believe that she recommends this book to everyone Mm -hmm. since you are a book lover yourself what's a book or is there a book that you recommend people to read the most
1: i feel like it changes for me every few years Ooh, okay i think my favorite book that i read last year was on earth we are briefly gorgeous by ocean vong i really liked it hmm So I used to recommend A Little Life to everyone, but I I read it for a second time and I did not like it as much. I mean, I still like it. And then I think before that, one of my other favorite books that I like to recommend to people was A Brief Wondrous Life of Oscar Wow. And I actually read that twice. And the second time I read it, I still loved it. And it was like 10 years Mm -hmm. later.
0: So that book has held up for you.
1: Well, Oscar Wow is interesting. It held up in a different way. Like When I first read it, I was 22, I think. And then when I read it again, I was, like, in my early 30s. And I read it in a completely different mindset. So I liked it for a very different reason. Mm, mm -hmm.
0: Interesting. It's similar to, like, how I'm revisiting some of these movies now. Like, years later, it's
1: like, whoa, life
0: is very different. My perspectives on things are very different. It is
1: interesting because it kind of shows you, like, how much you've grown up.
0: Yeah, or just become incredibly skeptic. So there's that too. Yeah, just cynical and depressed. <laughs> yes. Yes. Life in your 30s is yeah. very different than life in your 20s. That's for sure. Um, what is
1: the book that you recommend to everyone?
0: I was thinking about this and I don't know if I actually have one book that I recommend to people.
1: Yeah.
0: I don't think I get that question a lot because I don't work in books. I'm sure you do get asked that question a lot more than I do. Yeah. But I will tell you a book that I read that really surprised me, Uh and I still think about to this day. I read the book a few years ago, and it was Jane Eyre. Oh. It's written by a Bronte sister, Jessie.
1: Charlotte. I remember liking Jane Eyre when I read it in high school. I have been wanting to reread it, but it's very low on my list. Yeah. I'm not
0: someone who really revisits books more than once. Mm -hmm. I think mostly because I don't have the attention span to sit still that long. But yeah, I was really surprised by it. And I was pleasantly surprised by it. And I didn't expect to take what I took from it when I first started reading. I think I read it just because I was like, oh, this looks like a book that I should know and be familiar with. So I kind of read it kind of like in jest a little bit. But I came away
1: being like, wow, this was a really powerful book. Yeah, it's a romance. I don't know if it's a romantic comedy
0: there's romance I don't know if no I don't I would not use the word comedy no for Jane Eyre
1: <laughs> you know what other book I loved in high school that was a classic was uh The Great Gatsby yeah so like Great Gatsby I remember really loving in high school and romanticizing it and then I reread it as an adult and I was like Jay Gatsby's kind of a jerk <laughs> Mm. I mean, they're all kind of jerks. They're all like horrible people. They're all pretty
0: terrible people. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're kind of veering off course of the podcast and that's totally fine. But I think when I read books, and maybe this brings true for movies too,
1: uh-huh.
0: I think my priority is I want to be entertained. I want to be told a good story. Oh. I don't necessarily want or need to take life learnings from the books I read. It depends on the book if I want to learn something, I will explicitly seek out a book that has something to say, mm-hmm. but most of the time it's to be entertained or hear a different perspective. I think that's kind of the beauty of books and movies and art in general, not to sound so you know macro about it, but like everyone has different perspectives, mm-hmm. and everyone takes away different things from the same piece of art. you know what yeah. I mean, so I mean, even just talking about this movie with you, we both have taken away different themes and different perspectives of these characters and the story. So that's why, like, diving into these 22 years later, this movie is 22 years old, is extremely fun and fascinating for me, uh, selfishly. And I'm just grateful that you are willing to talk to me about it.
1: I know. I love it. I think this was a good movie to talk about too. And I think it was very interesting because you're obviously bringing in a lot of your like 12 year old or 13 year old thoughts on this movie where I was like, I saw this strictly as like a woman in my mid thirties mm-hmm. who was already jaded with life.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was hopeful at 12 yeah. years, 12, 13 years old. Yeah. But let's, let's bring it back to the movie. Um, you mentioned earlier, but like, yeah, what are your thoughts of the music of this movie?
1: Oh, the music was such a throwback to a bygone era. I kind of loved it. I was like singing along to all the ones I knew. It was great. Yeah, yeah.
0: It was pretty great, right? This is actually one of the big reasons why I like this movie too. It's just like, it's kind of a time capsule of the 90s. Or actually not even, like there's Stevie Wonder's in it, like Louis Armstrong. So, you know, obviously before the 90s, but like the Cranberries, which that was a very formative song for me. Classic. Loved it.
1: Beyond the Somewhere Over the Rainbow song, I like all the other music. It was great. What are your thoughts on if this
0: movie is beloved or popular, coming from someone who's seen this just recently for the first time?
1: Um, Why is this movie so beloved? I mean, I think... Wait, so you agree? You agree that it is beloved? Yes, I agree that society loves this movie. Okay. Do I think it deserves to be beloved? I don't know. It was good. But I think, you know, obviously Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan definitely made this movie what it is. I think the hip new technology of AOL and instant (laughs) messenger was a big draw. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And does it have longevity? I mean, I guess so. I was entertained 20 years later. So I would say yes.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I was a little shocked when I looked the score up on IMDb. It only has a 6.6. Yeah. I was actually shocked. I was like, wait, people don't love this movie like I do? But yeah, to your point, Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan, I think that's an easy, obvious answer of why this movie is beloved. I will say the fact that Nora Ephron wrote and directed this film, I think also has a reason why people love this movie.
1: Was this her last film of the,
0: like, Harry Met Sally? So the last film she ever did was Julie and Julia.
1: (gasps) Oh, I did see that movie. I have seen a Nora Ephron movie.
0: (laughs) I I talked about this earlier, but I do think this movie is not as beloved as When Harry Met Sally or Mm -hmm. Sleepless in Seattle. I think those films and stories were more original than this one. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mentioned earlier also this movie was based on a play and a movie from 1940. So it's literally adapted from previous source material. So it's not original. Do
1: you think this movie's aged well? You know what? I kind of think this movie was ahead of its time. I mean, little did it no- they know that most relationships would now start online. hmm And, you know, email wouldn't be a novelty. It's like a complete norm. And the way that we all talk to each other, it's mostly online now. So I say, good for them. You know, it's
0: funny because... I feel like now today we don't even use email as
1: yeah, email's antiquated.
0: Right? Yeah. Whenever you wa- used to want to make plans, like maybe like just three years ago, mm-hmm. you would email someone being like, "Hey, what's your availability?" But now it's everything's through text. Yeah. And even through like DMs. Like, yeah, people don't even text me anymore. I they know. DM me, and I'm like, wow, things are really just evolving at an even faster rate. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's pretty wild. Did you think it aged well? I do think so. I think it's dated, obviously, just because AOL. Mm-hmm. But I think it has, to your point, some longevity in the sense yeah. that who knew that we would all be behind screens and this would be like our main form of communication. Yeah. I mean, maybe people knew, yeah. but I'm saying like, it's still happening in 2020 that we meet people online and we're, I mean, for some people, that's how we meet our romantic partner, too. Mm-hmm. So
1: I think another part of the movie that sort of also is still relevant today is the struggle of the small local bookstore. And I think, you know, mm. they're always worried they're going to be taken over by some big corporation. And part of me is happy that, you know, so many of them have standed the test of time, but it also makes me feel bad that they're, they've been going through this struggle for decades and they will continue to go through this struggle. Yeah. It's the evolution, I guess. I read
0: somewhere in a review that this movie got a little bit of criticism when it came out because of the overt product placement, namely Starbucks, IBM, and AOL, but I found it such a dated criticism because (laughs) everything we consume today is branded. Overt product placements now, I mean, I still notice them, but it's just like, well, yeah, it's just second nature. You don't think about it anymore.
1: I don't even know when Starbucks started. But I was like, maybe this was like the cool, the cool new brands of 1998. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, I, I totally think so.
0: I think that's when like Starbucks started popping up on every street corner mm-hmm. in New York City. Even though I think the themes have aged well, I think the beauty of this film to me is that it's just so 90s. Like yeah. I said, this was very formative for me. My rating is boosted because of nostalgia. So I just love falling into this world of the 90s time and again. I have some trivia points. Tell me. I think I peppered some in throughout our conversation. So let me just see here. Meg Ryan didn't own a computer until filming this movie. (laughs) So Dave Chappelle was actually supposed to play Bubba in Forrest Gump, but he didn't take it, regretted it. And I think he stayed in touch with Tom Hanks. And when a role for Kevin came up, Tom Hanks suggested Dave Chappelle for the role. Interesting. And so Chappelle credits Tom Hanks for getting this role in this movie. Cool. Meg Ryan and Heather Burns, who plays Christina from the bookshop, Uh they worked in a real bookstore for a week. Books of Wonder as prep for the film.
1: I heard that Books of Wonder was connected to You Got Mail. I thought they filmed in there, but that's the connection. I think that's the connection.
0: Yeah. I think that wraps it up. Do you have any last takes? No,
1: I really enjoy being on this show and I enjoy talking to you.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't really have any last takes either. I feel like I clearly love this movie and I, I recognize that Joe Fox is a terrible person now that I'm <laughs> in my mid-30s. Like, who would want to be duped like that? Yeah, But yeah, this movie just holds a really soft place in my heart. I know it's not a fall movie, but every time fall happens, I always think of this movie.
1: I'm going to get you a bouquet of colored pencils or sharpened pencils. Sharpened pencils. I'll get you a bouquet of sharpened pencils (gasps) to
0: celebrate fall. (laughs) That would be amazing. That would be like the most romantic gesture you could ever do for me. Okay. Noted. But yeah, there's something to be said about movies that you loved back then that kind of hold up and... You're rewatching it and you're like kind of relieved that it's still held up. There wasn't anything offensively offensive in this movie.
1: Yeah. I would watch it again. I would.
0: If it were on. Oh, that's high praise.
1: I'd watch it again.
0: That is like really high praise coming from you for someone who doesn't even like rom-coms. I know. Maybe
1: I should, <laughs> I should watch her other movies first. I would
0: recommend When Harry Met Sally. Okay. I'll watch that one. Please do. Let me know your thoughts. All right, well, thank you again, Jesse, for taking the time to chat with me about this movie. I,
1: Always. I appreciate it. i happy to be here. And
0: I eagerly await my bouquet of sharpened pencils. Okay, we'll be on the lookout. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of Romcom Weekly. You can check us out on Instagram at Romcom Weekly. And we'd love to hear your thoughts on You've Got Mail. What would you rate this movie on a scale from one to 10? And we look forward to chatting with you guys again next week. Bye. Bye.